words of life, the commands of Jesus. And the command that we're going to hear Jesus say today, appropriately enough, seeing as how it's Halloween, is do not be afraid. So to begin, I want us to go all the way to the end of the Bible and look at Revelation chapter 1. If you're not familiar with Revelation, it is the account of Jesus appearing to John and uh, after his resurrection and just giving him encouragement, instructions for the churches. Revelation is weird when you read through it, but it's not hard to understand. The short version of what Revelation is, is right there in the title. Revelation is about the revealing, the revelation of Jesus Christ, the risen Savior, the Lord of all. So that, the whole book is about that. Sometimes there's symbolism, sometimes there's weird language and these scenes that we don't quite understand. Uh, it can be a little bit challenging, but the, the basic idea behind Revelation, it is the revealing Jesus is Lord. And we can all get on board with that idea. Jesus is Lord. Cool. Tell me more. But I want us to look at what John first sees when Jesus appears to him. It's kind of scary. If you listen to, when we read this description, you will see it's kind of weird. It would, it, would, it would make anybody a little bit afraid. So uh, let's read what John says here. Revelation 1, starting in verse 12. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. Coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. If you need a last-minute uh, Halloween costume idea, you might consider going as the resurrected Jesus, because that, that could be pretty scary. When John says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. And he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Let's pray as we consider this passage. Hear Jesus' command, do not be afraid. Lord, we thank you for this time to worship you. We thank you for this gathering of brothers and sisters. We thank you that, like John, we have had an encounter with the risen Jesus. We have heard the good news that he is not dead but that he is alive again, and we hold on to that truth, and we want to let it guide our lives. So I ask now that you will speak through me. Give us words of life. Give us words that will teach us to love one another, that will honor you in the choices that we make in our lives. In all things we pray, make us more and more like Jesus. And I ask this in his holy name. Amen. Uh, just out of curiosity, is anybody planning on dressing up like Jesus tonight for Halloween? The, the risen Jesus with the flaming eyes and the bronze feet. That could be pretty scary. I want to give you guys just a little heads up that tonight, if you're looking out your window or if you're out in your neighborhood, you might see some things that are scary. But you don't have to be afraid. You might see a ghost tonight carrying a trick-or-treat bag. And I just want to tell you, you don't have to be afraid of that ghost. You know why? Because it's just a trick-or-treater. It's just a kid. You might see Dracula out tonight with a trick <laughs> with a trick-or-treat bag, and you don't have to be afraid of Dracula. You might see a witch or a zombie or a David S. Pumpkins, but you don't have to be afraid because the truth is 
Those are just costumes. They're just people underneath, and they're covered up. They're concealed by uh, their, their costumes, and it's covering up actually a greedy little person underneath who only has one goal in mind. And what is one trick-or-treater's only goal on Halloween night? Candy. Ah, I got to get that candy. It's the thing that I want the most in the world, and that's what I'm focused on. I'm going to get it. That's what you might encounter tonight. And I can tell you guys, don't be afraid. You don't have to be afraid of that kind of stuff. But even if I tell you that, you might still be a little bit afraid. Maybe not you. Maybe something will jump out and scare you or make you feel unsettled. Maybe you guys will be just fine. But like, I can tell the same thing to my kids. A four-year-old and a two-year-old, they might see something scary. I go, no, 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 you don't have to be afraid of that. And they might have a hard time believing me. Because even though they trust me, their experience tells them, well, this is frightening. I should be afraid. Isn't it strange that the thing that people tell you not to be afraid of is usually the thing that you're the most afraid of? Don't be scared of that. Well, that's all I'm thinking about right now. I remember I was out on a boat with my dad when I was a little kid. I was maybe like four or five. And he said, you know, it'd be a good idea. Let's take Jacob out crab fishing. So he took me out in this little metal boat and I remember when he started bringing those live crabs in and they were scuttling around on the metal floor of that boat, I lost it. I went insane. I was so scared. I was freaking out. I was like clinging to my dad. Oh no, why did you bring me here? It was nuts. And my dad was like, they're not going to hurt you. You don't have to be afraid of these crabs. And I, I couldn't hear it. I was so terrified. The only thing that made me feel a little bit better about that experience was my dad being there, standing between me and those crabs. I still have this, this image. I can remember this experience. I have these, these snapshots that will never go away. But I also remember my dad's big boot. He was sitting next to me, and he was scooting them away, just kicking the crabs over to the other side of the boat. And it made me feel safer. I was not all the way. I wasn't comfortable by any means. But because he was there, I felt better. He, him saying, do not be afraid, meant something. If you take out your, your Bible app, or if you, you know, go on your computer, Bible Gateway, or wherever you look up verses online, and you can do a word search. And if you do a word search for the phrase, do not be afraid, or the old King James, fear not, you'll be there for a long time. Because there's a lot of times throughout Scripture where God tells his people, don't be afraid. It shows up over and over and over and over again. He tells Abraham, do not be afraid. He tells his people through Moses, you don't have to be afraid. He says it to Joshua. He says it to the people of Israel. He says it to David. He says it to Mary, to Joseph. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. He says it through almost all of the Old Testament prophets. Isaiah says it. Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Joel, Daniel, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah. Do not be afraid. When God sends a messenger to speak to somebody, the first thing that the angel, the messenger from God, has to say to the person is, no, no, no. don't be afraid. But if you hear, read these descriptions of some of the angels that you people encounter in Scripture, you can understand why it would be terrifying. Why they would have to start with, okay, I know you're going to freak out, but you don't have to be afraid. Don't be afraid. And then on into the Gospels, when you see the ministry of Jesus, he says it over and over again. Don't be afraid to follow me. Don't be afraid of the authorities. Don't be afraid of suffering. Don't be afraid of persecution, of wars, of storms, of demons. Don't be afraid of fear itself. And maybe the hardest one for us to go along with is, 
You don't even have to be afraid of death. In the verse that we read, Jesus in Revelation saying, you don't have to be afraid. I was dead, but I conquered death. Look, I'm holding the keys of death and Hades, and you don't have to fear. Why can we trust that? Why is that something that we should listen to? Well, for the same reason that my dad told me not to be afraid in the boat, because I'm here, because I am with you. Jesus told John, I was dead, but look, I'm alive. Not just I became alive, but I am alive forever and ever, he tells John. Jesus is alive now, and he tells us we don't have to be afraid. My dad, those crabs, they're not going to hurt you. They can't anymore, because I'm here. And if you do that search, and you see the words of God telling his people, don't be afraid, you'll see that they're often followed by that explanation. Don't be afraid. Well, why not? Because I'm with you. Don't be afraid. Well, how can I trust that? The Lord your God is near. But, like me and my dad, in the boat, we don't always believe it. Our experience tells us oh, we should be afraid. The other day I took Molly out on one of our daddy-daughter dates. And uh, I thought I'd get real fancy and really want to impress her with this date. So I took her to the fanciest place I could think of, uh, and that was Taco Bell. <laughs> Maybe not the fanciest place I could think of, but I don't get to eat Taco Bell very often because my wife doesn't like it. But Molly was game, so we went to Taco Bell and we had our date. Some of what we were talking about was uh, the news story about William Shatner getting launched up into space. Did you see this? Captain Kirk himself, at age 90, got to sit in a spaceship and look down at the Earth from space. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. And what blew my mind even more was when I told Molly across the table, Molly, it's wild for me to think that in your lifetime, you might have the opportunity to buy a ticket to ride up into space and to do what William Shatner got to do. Would you be, would you do that? Like, if you had the opportunity, would you take it? And Molly's like, I don't know. Like, she said, I've been on an airplane, and I wasn't, a, I wasn't afraid of that. I, she likes adventure. She likes to travel. She might be up for it. But she said, I don't know about space. She said, I've never flown on an airplane overseas, but that's really scary to me. I said, oh, okay. And I was thinking about this command from Jesus. And I asked her, what would make you feel better? Or what would make you not afraid to fly overseas? And she thought about it and she said, well, if somebody would tell me, if somebody could tell me with confidence, nothing bad is going to happen to you. You can fly and the airplane will be fine and you'll land safely. If they could tell me that, then I would be less scared. And I said, you and me both, sister. I would love to get a guarantee like that. We all would want somebody to come along and say, yep, nothing's going to happen. You're going to be just fine, always. But we don't get those guarantees. And even if we could, even if somebody told you that with confidence, yeah, nothing's going to happen, would you believe them? Or would you have a hard time going, yeah, I don't know, you say so, but i got to check things out. i got to be confident in my own. Maybe I'll inspect the airplane. You imagine like, Going up with Jeff Bezos into space and being like, I just want to do a quick walk around the shuttle and just make sure you guys did your job right. That's a compulsion we all have is just to control everything, to double check everything, to get the answers that we, we want to have. But a lot of the time, we don't get that. At some point, when it comes to space travel or air travel or even just some of the day-to-day -day things we experience, you have to let go and trust the people who say that things are going to be okay. You don't know for sure, but we develop trust. And in the same way, Jesus is calling us to trust him. 
He says, you don't need to be afraid. And we say, oh, we want to believe that, but our experience is challenging us. We want to believe him when he says, don't be afraid. It's all of these things, he's saying, I've got you. I am with you. He tells his disciples, this is John chapter 16. Put it up on the screen back there if you guys have a, a second. Uh, John 16, this is right before he's going to be arrested. Remember, a lot of Jesus' commands and wisdom that he wants to impart to his followers come uh, in the teen chapters of John. And this is no exception. A time is coming, and in fact has come, when you guys will be scattered, each of you to your own home. You will leave me all alone. And yet I'm not alone, for my Father is with me. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. That's a good word, but how well do we believe it? Uh, fear, is a, fear is a big thing. It's, it's no joke. We've all experienced fear to varying degrees uh, over various things. And social scientists will tell us that the purpose of fear is actually a good thing. It's, it's designed to keep you safe. The part of your brain that, that, that fear lives in is a part of your brain called the amygdala. Everybody, turn to somebody next to you and say, I've got an amygdala. There you go. Uh, it's that part of the brain that looks for threats. It looks out for dangers. It's that part of the brain that reads people's faces to, to tell, are they, are they okay? Are we cool? Is this still a casual conversation? Or are they about to pounce on me? Uh, it's that part of your brain that, that is always on alert to decide to tell your body you need to go into fight mode or maybe you need to go into flight mode. We got to get out of here. Uh, the, the psychologist Terry Hargrave came a couple years ago and did the Love Heals seminar. Nod your head if you remember that. It was a long time ago uh, considering what we've been through. But uh, they came and one of the things that he talked about was how the amygdala works. And the image that he left with me was it's like the prairie dog part of your brain. It's this, this, this alert little animal that always has its eyes wide open like this, and it's constantly scanning and searching for threats. Is this safe? Is this person safe? Can I do this? Can I trust this? And just constantly looking around. Look at my eyes. Can you see how wide they are? Try, try this with me. Take 10 seconds, and everybody just open your eyes as wide as you possibly can. Just look straight at me and hold that for 10 Mississippis. You, some of you can't even make it to 10. How, how exhausted are your face muscles right now? It is exhausting to hold your eyes like this. Okay, release, release. You can be, you're safe. You don't need to be on high alert. But when this part of your brain is engaged all the time, it's not just your face that is exhausted. It is your, your life that is exhausted. It is fear steering the ship. And this is the thing that Jesus says, I don't want you to do that. Fear is helpful. It's like an alarm. When something's wrong, boom, you react. You, 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 your fear centers of your brain protects your body. Uh, it tells you when it's time to, to do something quickly and swiftly, to, to run out of there or whatever. But we're not designed to live like that constantly. And when we are always engaging that part of our brain, when we're always scanning, when, I mean, I, I think cable news is designed to keep that part of our brain constantly alert and constantly tense, it stresses us out. It's the opposite of trusting. Okay. Some things I just can't know. Some things I can't control. Who am I trusting in? I get to the end of my, my own abilities. I can't trust myself anymore. Jesus says, you can trust me. I am here. Here's another boat story 
for you. This is from Matthew chapter 8. You might remember this. Uh, Jesus got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. Suddenly, a furious storm came up on the lake, so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us! We're going to drown. And he replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? (laughs) As if the answer weren't obvious. Why are you so afraid? Then he got up and he rebuked the winds and the waves and it was completely calm. And the men were amazed and they asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. That's a big question that we see throughout the gospels. Who is this guy? He loves like we've never seen. He teaches like we've never seen. He's doing these miraculous things that we can't quite explain. He's not just an ordinary guy. He's not just another prophet sent from God. This guy is different. And what you find out as you read through the Gospels, the answer to that question is, he is God. He's God's very son. He is the embodiment of God himself. If you see Jesus, you see the God of the universe. And the words that come out of Jesus' mouth are the same words that God has been speaking to his people throughout history. Do not be afraid. Again and again and again, I am with you. And here in this passage, Jesus connects fear and faith. He tells them, why are you afraid? Where is your faith? You need to have your faith overcome your fear. You need to trust me because I'm here with you. They had to learn that. And we have to learn that as well. Faith over fear is an important concept that we hear from Jesus, uh, but it's actually sometimes misapplied. It is actually something that uh, Christians will say, but they actually mean something else. And over the, uh, definitely over the course of the pandemic or social events, world events that we have been going through, a lot of Christians have been highlighting this principle. Faith over fear. Where's your faith? Don't let your fears overcome your faith. But what I want to take just a minute to point out is that sometimes it's not very faithfully applied. Here's what I mean. I have heard Christians sometimes criticize other Christians over the last few months, uh, criticizing them and questioning their faith based on the ways that they choose to respond to certain health and safety issues that we're all familiar with. Christians have said things to other Christians like, oh, you wear a mask? You must not have enough faith. Come on, faith over fear. Oh, you follow the guidelines? Uh, I don't follow those because I trust in God and not in man. You must be trusting in man over God, faith over fear. People have said this. People continue to say these things. I've heard some Christians put their faith on display by saying things like, I don't care if I get sick. I don't even care if I die from something that's out there because I have faith in God and I know where I'm going. Faith over fear. I've heard Christians point out the very thing that I've been saying in this whole message is that throughout scripture, God says over and over and over again, do not be afraid. And I've heard Christians quote Paul's letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy 1, where Paul says, God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power. Just go ahead and leave that one up there for a minute here, uh, Jeff. And yes, what Jesus is saying here stands. Faith needs to overcome our fear. This is something we need to trust in and move more 
toward. But the danger here is that what appears to be a demonstration of one Christian's great faith is actually just a Halloween costume. It's a disguise. And it conceals maybe a greedy little person underneath who only has one goal in mind, and that is personal freedom. And their attitude is not dissimilar from the trick-or-treaters we will see tonight that says, oh, that personal freedom... It's the only thing that I want in the world, and I'm going to focus everything I've got on getting it and on keeping it. And this is kind of a sensitive thing for me to get up here and say. I don't want you to misunderstand. I don't want you to hear me saying, here's what you should do. Here's what your response to the pandemic should be. I've kind of made it a point all along to not, help, to not make people's decisions for them when it comes to social issues, wearing a mask, getting a vaccine, how you respond to news reports or mandates or things that we have to do that we didn't have to do before. I mean, leave it up to people to decide. I think that that's an important principle. But what I do intend and plan to get up here and speak about is the heart of Jesus and how Christians are are living that, challenging us to say, how are we treating each other in the process of making these decisions? If the attitude is the one that I just described, where people are criticizing one another for their lack of faith or their perceived lack of faith, hanging on to that slogan, faith over fear. Come on, you know what you should be doing. I don't think that that's faith. I think that that's a disguise. I think that's the opposite of trust. And I don't think that's why Christ died for us. I don't think that's what Jesus calls us to. I don't think Jesus wants to remove our fears so that we are free to do whatever we want. I think that Jesus wants to remove our fears so that we are free to do what he wants, to continue to be his followers, to continue to do his work now and to love people the way that Jesus did. I want to go back to this this scripture that's up there. Don't forget when you're quoting 2 Timothy 1, the second part of that verse. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power, But then it goes on to say, and love, and self-control. Oh, okay. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, Paul, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Turns out this is not a passage about personal freedom. This happens to be a passage about relinquishing your personal freedom. In your great faith that overcomes all kinds of fear, don't forget the part about love. Don't forget the part about self-control or even the part about suffering and sacrifice. The command that God gives us, that Jesus reminds us, do not be afraid, isn't an excuse to lose patience with someone who draws a different conclusion than you. It's not even a moratorium on all kinds of fears. It's not just don't be afraid in general. And the reason we know this Watch this. Luke 12, Jesus says this. Now, this is interesting. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. Don't have to be afraid of them. But I will show you whom you should fear. Anybody interested in seeing where this next part goes? Who should we fear? Jesus, he says, fear him who after your body has been killed has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, Fear him. Isn't it strange that the thing that people tell you not to be afraid of is usually the thing that you are the most afraid of? 
And then here, the things that we ought to be afraid of are the things that we forget about, the things that slip our minds. Jesus says, don't fear wars and illnesses and kings and authorities and suffering and persecution. Don't fear sin. Don't fear death. But there is one thing that your prairie dog brain should be alert about. And that is the spiritual enemy who can lead you away from me, who can make you think that you're walking in the light, but you're actually living in darkness and you're harboring hate in the way that you respond to your brothers and sisters. When we tout our faith in ways that exalts ourselves or insults others, we are definitely in danger of walking in darkness. When we apply the do not be afraid command in a way that shows scorn or disregard or hatred toward others, and we've taken one command of Jesus and we are applying it at the expense of many others. Think about what we've been hearing Jesus say in this series so far. He's been saying things like, repent. You need to change your attitude. Repenting is about recalibrating yourself so that your life reflects the life of Jesus. He's told us you need to be in Christ. Remember the vine and the branches? Be, remain in me. Stay connected to me. Because outside of me, you're just going to crumble. You're just you're set for the fire. It's not going to go well. Last week, we heard Jesus say, walk in the light. Stay in me. I am the light. Stay in the light. Because walking in darkness, remember 1 John, where John tells us, if you hate your brother and sister and claim to be walking in the light, that's not true. Those two things can't go together. And what did Jesus tell us are the two greatest commandments of all the commandments? Number one is what? Love God. Number two is what? Love your neighbor. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. So maybe the real determination of faith over fear and how it's applied in our lives is not in how we exert our personal freedoms when they are challenged or threatened, but maybe the real demonstration of faith over fear is in living fearless love. It's in how we love people. It's in taking risks on behalf of somebody who's vulnerable. It's in how we sacrifice the way that Jesus did. I want to encourage you, church, take this to heart. Go and figure out how to live this out. Don't be afraid to love. Don't be afraid to give up something of yourself on behalf of someone else. Don't be afraid to stand up for someone that the world has turned against. Jesus' words to John when he was on the island of Patmos were encouraging for him and for, for first century churches. And I think that they're an encouraging word for us today. Once again, he says, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. A reminder, what God has been telling us all along and what Jesus tells us we can put our trust in. Do not be afraid. I want to invite you to stand with me now. I invite the praise team to come back up here and prepare us to sing this last song, reminding ourselves to be faithful the way that Christ calls us to. Uh, but before they start the song, before we sing together, I want to pronounce a, uh, a benediction, which is just a good word from the Lord over you. And this benediction, as I close out today, comes from 2 Peter chapter 1. Peter says this, Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord.
His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Let's worship together.